Hey, it's Scott Orn of Cruise Consulting, and welcome to another episode of Founders and Friends. And before we start the podcast, let's give a quick shout out to Rippling. Rippling is the new cool payroll tool that we see a lot of startups using. Rippling is great for your traditional HR and payroll. They integrate very nicely. But guess what? They did another thing. They integrate into your IT infrastructure. They make it really easy for when you hire someone to spin up all the web services and their computer, which sounds kind of like not a huge deal. But actually, we did the study at Cruise. We spend $420 on average just getting a new employee's computer up and running and their web service up and running. It's actually a really big deal. It saves a lot of money. And the dogs are eating the dog food. Like We see a lot of startups coming in to Cruise now using Rippling. So please check out Rippling. Great service. We love it. I think we have a podcast with Parker Conrad. You can hear it from his own words, but we're seeing them take market share. So shout out to Rippling. And now to another awesome podcast at Cruise Consulting's Founders and Friends. Thanks. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Cruise Founders and Friends. It's Cruise Consulting. Founders and Friends with your host, Scotty Orn. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And today, my very special guest is Kiara Portner of Hopkins Carly. Welcome, Kiara. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. So we met a couple months ago from uh, Basant at First Republic, That's right. who we do a lot of business with, connected us. Great person. And uh, we really hit it off in a meeting. And you are a wealth of knowledge on intellectual property, licensing, commercial terms. And so I thought it'd be really cool to have you on the podcast. So our audience can learn a bunch of stuff from you and hopefully work with you in the future. So thanks for coming by. Sure. Happy to be here. Well, maybe you can start off by just retracing your career a little bit and let us know how you got into intellectual property and how you landed at Hopkins Carly. Sure. So I always really wanted to be a lawyer. I think part of that was because my grandma really wanted to be a lawyer. She's 94 now and she wasn't able to, you know, during those times. So I've kind of been raised in law firms. I worked in a law firm during college, during law school. And then when I got out of law school, the dot-com bubble had burst in 2001, 2002 timeframe. So my firm deferred their summer class that was going to be going into the licensing and and corporate area because that always goes down during dot-com bubbles. And so I worked for the city attorney's office in Redwood City. I got to sit in the mayor's office have a bigger office than anyone else for some odd reason um, as a first year out of law school. And so during that time, I, you know, I had always been interested in technology and privacy. I had written about privacy in law school and in even in Road City, HIPAA had just come out, the new U.S. health privacy law. And I had to figure that out on my own um, with no budget in the city to Wow. You know, take classes or anything and just had to figure it out with a bunch of other city attorneys. So that kind of really cemented uh, me getting into privacy. And then when I started at my firm, the associate who had traditionally been doing privacy was leaving the same week I was starting. So they put a binder on my desk and said, you're the new privacy associate. So I, I was kind of thrown into it. Oh my God. Learned on the job. It's, it's like the opportunity you kind of didn't want. Well, oh, no, I, I did want it because I actually liked that and I was interested in it. So it just kind of worked yeah. out and getting thrown into things um, and, and having to figure yeah. it out. So that shows a lot about your, who you are though, as a person and that you were able to just, just figure it out. Like that's, that's actually a skill we look for at cruise when we're hiring people too, but not everyone can do that. Like, you know, some people need to kind of hold their, get, have their hand held and go through it. So 
So kudos to you for being that type of person that can figure it out on the fly. That's true. It, it can be intimidating, but it, it's out of necessity. It had to get done. So you, you make it happen. Yep. So after being at Big Law for a while, I uh, went to a boutique firm started by uh, one of my mentors at, at the Big Law firm and then stayed there about 10 years, made partner there, and then decided I needed a bigger platform to service my clients and have different kind of practice areas. So that's where I joined Hopkins Carly about two and a half years ago now. And so now I can service clients and you walk down the hall and talk to an employment attorney or uh, real estate because you know all my clients are needing all those services now. And we were talking before we turned the camera on, but you were kind of explaining where Hopkins Carly fits in kind of relative to big law and relative to boutiques. You want to kind of share that with the audience a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, I see even my journey, you know, I started out super big law and then super tiny boutique. And now I'm mid middle, a mid-sized firm. It's kind of like the Goldilocks of law firms. So it's a good sweet spot where your company might need more than what a boutique can provide. You need different services, not just one specialized service. And you also don't want to pay the big law rates or don't want to use a big law firm. And so we're kind of in that nice spot for, for mid market companies and startups. That's really beautiful. But you can, you can bring all the services needed maybe just not the overhead of a big law firm. That's right. But, uh, and they also probably get, they probably love working with you. You know, they, instead of working with maybe getting delegated to mostly an associate, they actually get to work with you probably. That's right. That's right. We stay yeah, involved more. That's really cool. Yeah. At the partner level. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, so we were, we wanted this podcast just to talk about a lot of the terms that are in like a commercial agreement mm-hmm. that a startup might make. I mean, for Cruise, you do all kinds of companies, but for, for Cruise, we're focused on startups, but you do maybe, maybe you spend a minute after this, just explaining the industries you tend to work in, but the big terms when they're either, when they're either licensing a piece of technology or just doing kind of a commercial deal. Mm-hmm. with a partner and that was kind of the genesis and then we'll also talk about privacy towards the end because you do a lot of privacy work right but maybe maybe talk about the industries you focus on and some of the unique challenges in ip licensing and commercial agreements in those industries so most of my clients are in, are in tech and so um software gaming clients um i have uh, a lot of security clients drone clients, drone security, they're, they're flying car clients now, which is cool. Um, yeah. What I like most is because I get to learn about all these new technologies and see what's coming out. There's always trends I, I've seen through the years. Um, and now NFTs, been reading a lot yeah. about that because I have some gaming clients that are doing stuff with NFTs. Interesting, figuring out there's a lot of legal issues around that. Non-fungible tokens, right? Is that, yes, that's the definition? That's right. Are you, are you investing? I feel cool just knowing that. I haven't bought any yet. I'm sure I will at some point, but uh, it's it's genius. Yeah. It's interesting. That's for sure. So yeah, when, when looking at contracts, I kind of call them bet your company issues. And there are maybe four or five issues that really can, that are important that you need to hone in on and make sure you get those right. And then maybe you could let some other things go, especially if you're a startup. You don't, maybe you don't have a lot of negotiation power, right? Yep. So looking at the license grant, uh, the restrictions around what people can do with your software technology, the warranties are very important, what you're guaranteeing and what you're disclaiming, what doesn't apply. You know, we love sales guys, but you don't want what your sales guy promised that the software can 
can make your blanket fly and uh, yeah. you don't yeah, want that yeah, to yeah. fly, right? Also limits of liability. That's kind of the umbrella of protection over your company and the contract, whatever can go wrong, maximum you could be liable for. And then indemnities. Um, a lot of people don't understand indemnities or scared of the word. And it's really kind of, it's almost like an insurance policy or covering another company totally. for something that, that you've done. Um, so those are kind of yeah. the, the big issues that I tend to see and get most negotiated as well. And when, when, it, when one of your clients comes to you, is it, have they just signed a term sheet with the, you know, the licensee or, or, or they are the licensee and, or are you involved like from term sheet all the way through documentation of that? Or how, how, what's your entry point in the conversation? Well, the earlier, the better to get the lawyers involved. Yep. It doesn't usually serve the company well when you get the lawyers involved at the last minute and you've negotiated everything and maybe you shouldn't have agreed to certain things. Depending on the deals and the size, there might not even be a term sheet. It might just, you just go for the deal up front. And so I, I'm involved in, in all facets and areas on either the drafting side you know, redlining things and then doing the negotiation with the, the client. Yep. And, and how do you, um, you know, I used to do investment banking. And so you'd, you'd have these conversations with, with the company, the manager team that was selling their company. And I'm sure you're doing something similar. Like, how do you, how, what's your kind of bedside manner to borrow like a doctor's mm-hmm. uh, description of like how doctors deliver bad news or yeah. counsel, you know, their client, like, how do yeah. you, how do you talk to them about like, Hey, Yes, I know you want to agree to this term, but to get the deal done, but here's the ramifications mm-hmm. and here's what can go wrong. Like, how do you have that conversation with the founders? I'm pr- a pretty calm person. So when I'm negotiating, I have a calm style. You know, I've negotiated against other lawyers who are really aggressive and, it, you know, they should be litigators. <laughs> they shouldn't be. You know, yeah. We're trying to get our clients to have get a deal done and they're going to have to do business together. So you, you don't need to. Yeah get into a fight trying to get the deal done, yeah. right? You're, you're moving yeah. towards the same goal. So, you know, I just, I, I deliver it, uh, the news and, and say, usually I try to give them some options, you know, the most yeah. conservative approach, the best option would be to do this. But if you're willing to take some risk and it's your company, you can decide, you know, I can advise you, but ultimately you need to make the decision. Yeah. So usually giving them some options. Hey, it's Scott Orner, Cruise Consulting. And before we get back to the podcast, quick shout out to ChartHop. ChartHop is one of my favorite new SaaS tools on the market. And basically what ChartHop does is it puts your org chart in the cloud. And I always like to say, like, it brings transparency to your organization. And so, you know, everyone in your organization can see who they report to. They can see the full org chart of the company and how their group relates to other groups. It also has a lot of information on the individuals in the company. And so you can click on the chart out profile and just get like where people live, their experience, you know, Slack handles, all this kind of stuff. And it's just a really great tool. The other thing is chart has started doing some cool stuff around compensation and budgeting planning. And so you can actually start seeing like what the cost structure of the company look like during certain kind of scenarios. So I'm loving chart Check it out, chartop.com. We use it at Cruise. Really like it, and I can't recommend it enough. All right, back to the podcast. Yeah, that's really smart. And in terms of, like you said, like a lot of people are, we can kind of just roll through some of those topics, but like 
for indemnification, for example, I know like once a year, cause we have, we have indemnification in our engagement letter with our clients. Cause like, you never know when like a crazy investor might s- decide to try to sue everybody because mm-hmm. they're angry. The company's not doing well or something out of our hands or piece of information we were never given or something like that can come back and bite us or the clients. So we do have identification in our, in our engagement letters. And once a year I'll have someone who just like goes crazy over that and cannot wrap their head around it, which to me, it seems like a normal business term. Like how do you talk to your clients about identification, how far to go? Do you put caps on it? Like what's, what's your technique on mm-hmm. that? So at first you have to look at what the, the business relationship is and what the agreement is about and what each party is providing in terms of information, IP, uh, materials, and then scope it out and, and decide, you know, what's fair, what should you be responsible for versus what should I be responsible for? And making sure there's proper exceptions to the indemnity that it's properly scoped out. And then you get to the limitation of liability question. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you're the one providing the indemnity, you're going to want to have some kind of cap on that. But And if you're on the receiving end, you're the indemnity, you're going to want to have that unlimited. So that that becomes a negotiation, really depends on negotiating bargaining power, who wants to deal more, and what you can ultimately give up. Yeah, what you can stomach. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. And the exceptions are, is that like... If, if one of the parties commits fraud or, you know, something, I forget that like willful misconduct or mm-hmm. things like that. I always get a little bit confused on some of those, but is that the kind of stuff you're talking about with exceptions? Depending on what the indemnity is for. So for example, for a software company, um, if I'm the licensor, I'm going to be indemnifying the licensee customer if my software infringes on some third party's patent or copyright mm. and, and we copied mm-hmm. some code and then the customer sued because they have the deep pockets. And so with that, the exceptions would be maybe the customer didn't use the software properly. Maybe they modified the software. They weren't supposed to. And that modification caused the issue. Yeah. Things like that. That makes perfect sense. Cool. Okay. And then on, on like some of the stuff you talked about, like restrictions around the license, what type of restrictions, like for example, for like a gaming company that you're talking about mm-hmm. or a software company, how would you how would you see that? So usually you're licensing software um, maybe to consumers or to another business. You depending on what the the deal is, it might be only for their internal use, or maybe they get to um, incorporate it into their own product and distribute it. And then on the restriction side, you would make it clear what they can't do. They you know, maybe they're not getting source code. They they can't modify the software. Um, they can't distribute it to someone else. Um, there can mm. be a whole host. And there are some typical restrictions, but there can also be really customized restrictions as well or geographic territory restrictions also. That makes perfect sense. And I'm trying to roll back through the list of things you talked about. Is there anything I'm missing on those big key kind of at the company points um and then just on on warranties and Uh-oh. you know sometimes you'll see in all capital letters like it's screaming to you we disclaim xyz it's as is those are actually important and do need to be in capital letters so i was getting a lot of questions about that really they do need to be in capitals because like the law requires that or something so that people don't yeah, miss it has it? to be conspicuous for it to be binding yes wow 
I never knew that. That's awesome. Yeah. And have you, do you have any good, like, you know, use judgment here and you don't want to breach co- client confidentiality, but are there any common mistakes that our clients could learn from mm-hmm. that you see over and over again that, you know, people rush into an agreement or they don't think about some of these terms or they're just too agreeable or things kind of a very tangible example of how it's come back to hurt, you know, one of your clients mm-hmm. that you, you wish it hadn't. I would say signing NDAs without really reading them or looking at them, having legal review. Mm. There, there can be some tricky things in there, even though they're the shortest documents and, you know, probably the simplest kind of document that I, I review as a lawyer, but there can be terms in there, especially from big companies that are, are tricky that you, you wouldn't want to have if you knew what they meant. Yeah. So I, I would say probably that. And then also on geographic territorial restrictions when you're dealing with distributors or other resellers and kind of dealing with channel conflict. I've seen that come back to bite clients as well. That makes a ton of sense. That's excellent. So on bet the company issues, they need to think about all these topics and they should hopefully reach out to you if they need some some good legal advice. And then when we were talking before I turned the camera on, but you're saying you do a significant amount of privacy work too. Right. And maybe you could kind of explain that part of your practice to the audience. Sure. So yeah, like I said, I've, I've been doing privacy, you know, since 2002, since it was before it was trendy, really. Um, now everyone, a lot of people do privacy. But at the time yeah. when I started, you know, privacy and technology are really integrated. And it was the tech companies that were concerned about privacy. And for the most part, they are still the companies that are concerned about privacy and pay attention to it. So I help clients with their privacy policies that are external and their internal employee policies and having policies to ensure that they're um, how they're using data and security and then data protection and processing agreements where you're sharing data and ensuring service providers have proper terms with you as yeah. well. Yeah, that's super important. And I'm, I'm blanking on the European uh, legislation that, or, or rules yeah. that GPDR, GDPR is what I'm thinking yeah. of. And then California has some other stuff around that. Are you, did that like kind of turbocharge that part of the practice or make it just super important that everyone comply? Um, it does. I mean, for CCPA, that's a new California law, new-ish. Um, it doesn't apply to everyone, but there's been a California law on privacy since 2004. So much longer that does apply to everyone mm. who has a website, which a lot of people don't know about. So, you know, when GDPR or CCPA come into effect or new state laws, because they're they're coming at us all the time now, um, there is a little uptick in, in work and clients asking about it and trying to figure out if it applies to them or not. And then we guide them yep, through that. Yep. That makes sense. And what are some of the like rules of thumb or things that people should just be aware of, you know, again, kind of maybe common mistakes Mm -hmm. that founders or executives might make when they're addressing privacy. Copying someone else's privacy policy on their website. That is a big no, no. You are not. And forgetting to do the keyword search, right. And take the other person's other company's name out. Right. (laughs) I've seen that before. That's the thing because they're, they're public. They're on everyone's website. You can go find one, but and then just change your name. But I have seen clients who don't change the name properly, and then they have their competitor's name in their own privacy policy. Totally. And it totally. It also doesn't reflect necessarily how you're doing business in your practices. And that's key. You have to be fair and transparent, and your privacy policy has to say exactly what you're collecting, how you're using it, how you're disclosing it. 
Yeah, you must get a few like panic calls uh, every once in a while from people who did, took the shortcut and then realize something's going wrong and they need they need to beef it they up. They might hear from customer angry, angry customer sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. What what's the right time to get involved on the privacy work? We work with companies that are anywhere from seed stage, like two or three person company, all the way up to like Series C, Series D companies. Like mm-hmm. when should they be thinking about this type of legal work? They should be thinking about it before Series A. I mean, in your Series A docs, there's going to be representations and warranties that you comply with privacy laws. Mm-hmm. They're getting lengthier, those reps and warranties, and more detailed um, because of all the new different laws that apply now. So it's really something to invest in at the start and get it right. I mean, you can we can always help guide companies as to what's important and what to prioritize, but it, it should be done from the start. Yeah. No, that makes so much sense. You're right. On the on the accounting and tax side, those reps and warranties are super important too. And so having like professional advisors who can help you through that when you're doing a fundraise is is really, really important. So we talked about, you know, when the right time is to bring you in for and it sounds like series A is when the reps and warranties come in. What if a a founder is working with a law firm that is, you know, maybe a strong on fundraising, but doesn't have kind of the breadth of, you know, IP licensing, privacy, like when do they make that call to you and how do you work with the other law firm in those cases? Yeah, we just um, work really as colleagues, like we're essentially in the same firm and we help review the reps and warranties and determine disclosures, determine any remediation and fixing or adjusting their privacy policies. Awesome. So you got, you can work together with another law firm if they yes, don't have that we, we've that done capability. That awesome. Well, this has been really educational. I feel like, and I'm, I feel like I'm not even that great at asking the questions. So thank you for kind of guiding the conversation because I'm not a lawyer. And so, but that's why this is so valuable for our client base to be able to listen to this podcast, watch it on YouTube and actually be able to have a lot of their answers and go, go into these type of conversations, feeling smart and feeling educated. So thank you so much. Maybe you can tell everyone how to reach out to you, get a hold of you if you want, if they want to work with you, which I'm sure... They're very impressed by this podcast and probably learned a lot. And there's there's more to come if they're working with you. They actually get to have you on their side, which is pretty cool. That's true. Um, yeah, I'd be happy. Anyone can reach out with questions. Um, you can find me at cportner, P-O-R-T-N-E-R, at hopkinscarly.com. And again, I help clients with privacy and their commercial contracts, tech licensing, uh, closing deals, oftentimes to the last minute on New Year's Eve. Um, to get that end of the year deal done. So I, I don't make New Year's plans. You don't pop the champagne until 12.01. You know, that's, that's when, right. you're, that's when yes. you're starting to celebrate. Yeah. Awesome. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much for being on. Really appreciate it. Thank you for and, having uh, me. I'm looking forward to getting the feedback on the podcast. Sounds good. Thanks. Thank you. So when your troubles are mounting in tax or accounting, you go to Friends with your host, Scotty Owens.